Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my. It's just another night for Supernatural Girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others. Here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker. I am here with my co-host, PK. How are you doing tonight, PK? Well, I feel like the pinata, and I'm <laughs> going to take away the sticks. I'm t- getting tired of getting smacked. <laughs> it's been oh, one of not those a good day. Days. No. It's turned cool here. We're not used well, to that. Good. Well, it's good, but we're not used to that. <laughs> Oh, you got really cool there. Okay. Yeah, I was surprised. It was like 40-something this morning, and I'm going, woo In Tucson? Yep, that's a big dip. But it's gone up, of course, throughout the day. But I tell you, trying to get ready for this Halloween thing, I tell you, is really driving everybody crazy. I guess so. Now, when you were looking at the numbers for us, and what have you discovered? You've got a blue moon coming up, and what else is happening? Well, one of the things that I took a look at, I was thinking, the Halloween, the history of Halloween, of course, goes back to the Celtics, to the Sanhan situation. They, they've always had something. So in 100, it had to do with the bonfires and feasts and offerings of the souls of the dead. And then in the 700s, they've changed it to the Catholic influence, started changing it so Pope Gregory III named it All Saints Day. And then around 1,000, the church also be- became no- November 2nd as All Souls Day. And then the Irish and the Scottish immigrants, they changed it to have to Halloween. And then the early 1900s became popular with the teenagers, so they were running around and throwing parties. And in the 1930s, it became the Halloween, and it was called the dip because of celebration often came in the form of destructive pranks. And then in the 50s, they started Halloween to blow up trick-or-treat and running around doing that. And in 2019, it ended up being a $2.6 billion Halloween candy fest. (laughs) We've come a a long long way. road for Halloween, yeah. I started looking at that, and I thought, my God, I can't believe all that. But if you think about it, every generation, I should say, has its own way of pranking. In fact, I was looking at one thing here. Harry Houdini had done his uh, water situation that he does where they put him in water. He came out, and somebody punched him in the stomach. And here with all the things that he's done, what does he die on but Halloween? Right. Now, what did the punching of the stomach have to do with his death? Was, did it do something to him that then led to his yep. death? Yep. It did. Because of the, uh, he used to be kept underwater. He would get out of his uh, chains. Right, and he'd get and out death. of the handcuffs and the chains well, so, and all of that. Yeah. So something had happened in that transition of that. 
and he started having stomach aches after he got out, and then it uh, ruptured, and that was on Halloween Day that he died. Amazing. And we have yeah. heard that he has, he did promise that he was going to contact people from the other side once he passed, and there's been stories on both sides of that. Some people say he did achieve it, and other people said he didn't. So someday we'll have to get an expert on to talk about that. Yeah, well, I was trying to find something backing that up, but I could find nothing that said yes, this was a yeah, fact. Yeah, I, so. I know it's it's been still well, he was always yep. surrounded by mystery. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we're looking at so many different things. Actually, today is a sixth universal day, and what it, it really deals with has to do with family, family type situations, putting things together, and growing forth. And you couldn't ask for a better time for this with what's going on, everybody having to be closer, taking more time for one another. But it's a negative three, so communication and being creative about what's taking place is not happening. So what we're getting on one side is trying to uh, tidy up something, but on the negative side, the communication that we're getting about what's going on around us is very negative. So bottom line is we're being lied to. Mm -hmm. Geez, that's a surprise. Yeah, I know. Just add that to everything else going on around us. Oh, my goodness me. So So we have tonight an amazing guest, and I think he's one of the most important guests we've ever had on the show. And we're going to bring him on in just a minute, but I wanted to also tell everybody, go to our Facebook page. Make sure you're following us on Facebook, on Instagram, and on Twitter. We have more UFO stories, more pilots coming forward saying that they have witnessed something that they cannot explain in the skies. That's on our Facebook page. All kinds of new stories being reported. So don't miss any of this. It's it's happening all around us, and more and more credible people, and certainly pilots are credible witnesses due to their training. I would think so. Who yeah, better than so. close to personal? It's, yeah, it's it, way overdue for them to come out with this information. Oh, We're being treated like little kids and put in a closet. Come oh, on, folks, oh, and let us out so and give us true. the info so we can go on with what we need to do because there's got to be a purpose for them hovering around, hanging around. What do we need to do to bring this forward? Exactly. And that leads me to our guest tonight. And he yes. has written very important papers and books. He is a sociologist. His name is James Roger Brown. And he's also an intelligence collection and analysis methodologist. He's the author of Strategy and Tactics to Survive. And I just lost my Internet, so hang on a second. <laughs> Somebody you doesn't can't want this out there. Gee. <laughs> He must be very popular with the alphabet agencies. I okay, so. well, gets back so. to the name of the of this book: strategy and tra- and tactics to survive ET right. abduction, forced encounters. This is very important work that James Roger Brown has done, and and we're thrilled to have him for our audience tonight. This is nothing more important, in my opinion, and I know in yours too, than this information now. James Roger Brown has been called by some the most dangerous mind in North America. His general field is sociology of knowledge, with specializations in the sociology of intelligence operations, cultural reality models, and how cultures define and relate to the spiritual world. 
So Roger has tested Joseph Campbell's conclusion that the spiritual traditions of all cultures are attempts to describe the same spiritual world by determining if what they identify as teachable and learnable spiritual skills can be learned. Now, there's a lot that you're going to want to know about James Roger Brown. First of all, we're going to call him Roger on the air. So, (laughs) the intelligence field, Roger has developed the most advanced methodology that currently exists. So he's responding to requests to address various intelligence system inadequacies identified by World War II intelligence professionals, interviewed, and he interviewed them for his master's thesis on World War II international intelligence operations. So he developed his own theories. He reverse-engineered the intelligence collection and analysis system. I mean, he's done so much, but most of all, He's created a handbook on what to do if you are confronted by an ET and you have an encounter that leads to your being taken aboard a ship or somehow taken aboard somewhere and what to do to save your own life. This is really important information. I'll tell you why. You know Captain Kramer. We've had him on the show a couple times. We're going to bring him back again. Captain Kramer has said that very soon there is going to be an ET presence that's public, that's publicly known on the planet. Now, we asked Captain Kramer, is this going to be friendly? And he said he really could not confirm that it would be. So that makes this information that we're going to hear tonight that much more important. So let's bring our guest on the show. Roger, welcome to Supernatural Girls Radio. Thank you. I'm very grateful to be on your show, and um, thank you for inviting me. Well, it's our pleasure. And again, I I can't say it enough. What you have written is one of the most important things I've ever read. It's brilliant, and it's it's down to earth. I mean, it's something anybody can understand. You've given real examples of how to handle these things. So let's start with what drew you to this particular subject? Well, I need to take you back to how I got started on this road. When I started in college, I was science-oriented, and I actually worked two years toward a degree in physics before switching to social sciences. So I have a a firm background in um, physical reality, and applied mathematics, which I took into uh, sociology that that apparently no one else had anything remotely resembling that background. And I was interested in uh, analyzing intelligence operations from a sociological perspective because of something that happened when I was in the military training I and another individual were called to the Post Theater at Fort Polk, Louisiana one morning, and an individual, a a group of individuals with a spokesman all dressed in business suits gave us this spiel about uh, we were selected to be uh, White House telephone operators because we had no criminal record and college degrees. And he went through all the spiel about what all benefits we would get and then uh, said, we're going to take a break now. And when we come back, we'll tell you what this is 
all about, really, but you have to sign a non-disclosure agreement. Well, I and the other individual had no interest in, in any association with Richard Nixon whatsoever. So we went back to the um, company, and when I was checking in, the senior drill sergeant said in a sinister voice, so you decided not to go to Washington, huh? And there were actually retributions um, for for not do, going along with that. Um, I was on the firing line one day, and my M16 misfired and Uh-oh. almost got me court-martialed. And when I was switching from um, single shot to full automatic, the thing went off by itself. And, uh, you know, they stopped everything, and one of the sergeants grabbed me by the collar and literally dragged me off. Um, and I subsequently learned through my congressman, who I asked to investigate that, that Richard Nixon had been trying to recruit a military unit personally loyal to him. And that should disturb everybody because it sounds familiar. Yes. Um, anyway, I got interested in intelligence operations from that and how they work. And at the time, I was the only one who ever did any sociological analysis of intelligence operations. And what I discovered uh, I identified the two social conditions under which intelligence operations succeed. The first is when uh, competing intelligence services develop a a common interest and a specific outcome. Hold on a second. Uh, When competing intelligence services um, develop a, a common interest and a specific outcome, and the second was when an intelligence agency comes up with something that's inconceivable to all of its competitors. And over the years, I've used the bejesus out of both of those. And all of the methodology and stuff that I developed, I I tried to find stuff that was inconceivable and uh, find out some way to do that. And I don't talk about what all I developed because if I did, then it wouldn't be inconceivable <laughs> anymore. Okay. Um, but that, that's the kind of tools that I developed. Uh, some of them, like paired contradictory hypothesis testing, are are based on existing um, philosophy. Uh, but you know, I, I actually developed tools to use it. Uh, contradictory hypotheses have the logical properties. Both cannot be true. Both cannot be false. So if you have uh, evidence put forth to support both of the hypotheses, you immediately know that one set of evidence is falsified. And there are other procedures for determining which one of the uh, sets of information have been um, falsified. And... May I ask you, which branch of the military process, were you active in, Roger? I, I was in the Army for Army two Army. years. Okay. Um, I thought so. Yeah. That, that was back when you you didn't have any choice. <laughs> okay. Um, and now, when, when your gun misfired, did you think it was sabotaged? Is that how it happened? 
Um, well, at the time, there were there were reports that the the M16 was defective um, sometimes, and and there were reports. They even told us that that in some cases M16s that we were getting coming from them had defects in them, like bent barrels and stuff, and they would they would the sergeants would straighten it out by grabbing the end of the barrel and slamming the M16 against the tree and that's how they straightened the barrel out oh, oh my goodness but so i just didn't getting know back that, to my that happened that because you weren't following analysis, orders i'm sorry i just was wondering if that happened if that, if just sabotage in some way because you weren't following orders because you said there was retribution yeah it's possible I can't. I have no proof one way or another. I don't know whether it was a defective M16 or was sabotaged. Uh, right. Either are both possible, as far as I know. Okay. Now, getting back to uh, the people, two of the people that I interviewed for my master's thesis from World War II intelligence, um, one of them provided me with all of the information they had discovered in World War II and um, asked me in exchange for providing the information. Intelligent people, when you ask them for something, always want something in exchange. <laughs> anyway, this, this gentleman um, uh, asked me to find out everything I could about the extraterrestrials and why they were here. Mm. And what he told me that they'd learned during World War II, uh, first, there was a flight. A UFO came in at the North Pole and flew down the middle of the Pacific to the South Pole three to five times a month. And they figured that it was some kind of supply run. The other was was more profound when they started bombing in Germany they used uh, compass heading and time to and, and airspeed to determine where to drop their bombs because a lot of it was at night well they in the follow up they discovered that all of those first bomber runs were off by i think it was like 3 degrees and in trying to determine what the cause of that was, they uh, evidently sent an expedition to what was magnetic North Pole then and discovered alien technology underground <clears throat> in the vicinity of the magnetic North Pole that was throwing off the the lines of magnetic force three degrees and you know thereby throwing their compasses off three degrees and causing the bombing run errors. Um, he didn't tell me anything about what they found in that underground facility, just that it was affecting the, uh, you know, magnetic field, you know, distorting the magnetic field to the extent that it was throwing the bombers off course. <coughs> um, the other individual who asked me to do something uh, was more directly related to intelligence methodology he told me and warned me that the intelligence system had been corrupted 
in the formation of the CIA, which in in the mid-60s, along with other intelligence agencies, as a policy decision, decided to work more closely with um, corporations, which basically means that they, they serve corporate interests above ours. And the last time any of them did anything to benefit the, the average American citizen was in the 1960s, early 1960s. Oh, my gosh. That was a long time ago. Yeah. Well, for sure. I'm sorry, I, I didn't understand your question. I, said, I, I can't get over how they're able to get away with doing what they did at that point in time. Well, I've, I, they've expressed their their animosity a number of times. I've I've survived 16 attempts to shut me down. <clears throat> the last one was in uh, April of 2019 when I was poisoned by something either painted on my steering wheel or door handle. I just happened oh to be God. on my way to a, a appointment in a hospital complex. At the time, I was recovering from joint replacement surgery and, and doing um, um, physical therapy three times a week. And I was on my way there when whatever it was they hit me with took effect. My blood pressure started dropping. Um, I developed muscle spasms. It was some really wicked stuff. And it, when they did test on it, I, I tested positive on three of the five Epstein-Barr tests, Ooh. which indicates that it was something that affected my central, um, my uh, immune system. Good grief. That's horrible. Yeah. How many times had they done this to you? I mean, in different ways. Well, various and sundry things. <clears throat> Uh, 16 times over the years since 1978. Um, When my master's thesis was finished and put on the library shelf in the the University of Memphis library, at at that time it was Memphis State, um, a a gentleman walked up to me uh, three days after it went on the shelf and asked if I was Roger Brown, and I said yes. And uh, he proceeded to tell me that he was there on behalf of the CIA and told me, uh, you know, all the stuff I I would benefit from. And I told him I already worked for God and um, proceeded to tell him some more stuff. And he said, well, if you know all of that, you must work for God. And uh, anyway, he at the end of, of what he told me was uh, – you know, if you don't come to work for us, you're going to be dead in two weeks. Oh. That was the first threat against my life. And uh, I've uh, periodically pissed them off enough that they sent somebody to follow up. Uh, one of the one of the attempts was a a um, an ambush karate blow to my heart. Ooh. You know, right on oh top gosh. of my sternum, and it, it didn't kill me, but it bruised my heart and put me in the hospital for three days for observations. 
Was this, um, Roger, was this one person that just came out of nowhere and attacked you? Is that what happened? Yeah. Yep. Basically, that's it. Um, wow. And, but uh, there's a lesson in all of this. Um, apparently, God plans for everything in advance. And uh, one of the reasons I'm still here is I was born with a skeletal deformity that makes my sternum um, thicker than everybody else's. So um, it it was a, a blow against a stronger bone structure than um, other people that 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 it might have been used against had. So uh, there was that, and I also discovered that I'm in. One percent of the population gene-wise, I was once bitten by a brown recluse spider, and my it's skin so did not necrotize. That's unheard uh, of. The doctor told me, the doctor told me that I was in one percent of the population that had a natural resistance to venom. My goodness, <laughs> that's a good thing to have. Wow. Yeah, but yeah, it is. I I I used to joke about uh, that. The reason for it was. Some of my caveman ancestors lived in a, a cave with a bunch of poison snakes and were too stupid to leave. <laughs> Aren't you glad well, they did? Certainly, yeah, it passed through yeah, the, that, the line Yeah, that must be you. the explanation. <laughs> wow, lucky you. So this is quite, a, this is quite a, a life experience where you're being threatened just because you're telling your truth. And you're telling not just your truth, but something that affects all of us. And I just want to give a caveat to our audience right now. This happens more than you know, everybody, where people's lives are on the line when they speak the truth. And I'll give you an example. Dr. Garth Nicholson and his wife, both brilliant microbiologists, discovered the uh, true reason for the Gulf War syndrome. And as you may remember, years ago, soldiers were coming back, with a host of symptoms, and government doctors were telling them it's all in your head. Uh, what the Nicholsons discovered is that it, they were able to trace this infection back to all of the soldiers that had been given vaccines. The soldiers who went over uh, to, to, uh, to be deployed in, in this war who did not get the vaccines, they didn't get it. So the Nicholsons were brilliant enough to figure this out. They also figured out it was contagious. However, when they did that, guess what happened? They lost all of their funding for everything they were doing. And they were uh, going to Russia to meet with some other scientists, and there was an attempt on their lives there where they also were poisoned. Luckily, they knew what to do. They knew they had been poisoned, and because of who they were, they were scientists and microbiologists, they were able to save their own lives. But this happens more than anybody knows. So I didn't mean to interrupt, Roger, but I think it's important for people to understand that, that this does happen. Yeah, that is an important point. Um, you know, a lot of people, um, uh, one of the people that I, I recommend everybody go and um, view his posthumous disclosure video is William Pollack, P-A-W-E-L-E-C. He um, uh, was basically an intelligence facilities security engineer. 
He designed and installed the security systems for places like Area 51 and Tonopah and, and other bases out there that are, that are supposed to be secret. And <clears throat> he got access to a lot of things. And, um, you know, he was a brave man. I knew him personally, and he was the second person that I worked on um, ET intelligence collection and analysis with. Uh, one of the, the, the individual who told me all the information from World War II, I worked with him while he was alive. And then um, after his death, I, I, it was a number of years later, but I linked up with William Pollock. He and Vance Davis were on uh, the Art Bell Show at the time, and they were talking about um, UFOs, and I called in and told him that I was working on intelligence analysis methodology to apply to extraterrestrials. And he gave me his phone number and told him to call me after the show. And we linked up and, and were probably in, in just about daily communication after that. He told me one important detail that confirmed something I suspected. Uh, some forest rangers had told him that they were out patrolling and came up to a clearing and there was a UFO in it, and there were some little grays carrying this pod <clears throat> over to an, an overhang where they hid it, and it was pointed down toward this city down in the, in the valley below where they were. They left it, got back in the little UFO, and took off, and a forest ranger saw all of it. And that confirmed for me that they do have surface operations. So I was able to start looking for them, and uh, they have automated systems. There's little spheres up in the atmosphere, a grid of them around the entire planet. And uh, one of the things I discovered was that you do not have to have a full-blown invisibility cloak. You just need to be able to neutralize whatever... Uh, electromagnetic frequencies the the species can detect humans <clears throat> so all you have to do is uh, neutralize the light frequency the hearing frequencies that we have just just those limited things which is much easier to do than a full blown invisibility cloak and anyway they use that to hide these um uh, little drones up in the atmosphere, the spheres, and occasionally that shielding breaks down and they get captured in uh, on Google Earth. At one time there was one visible over Florida that, that you know, there was a photograph of. Anyway, I, I started collecting all the information I could. I analyzed all of the... Um, abductee accounts and pieced together that they were doing intelligence connection collection because um, they were literally scanning and recording 
the neural structures associated with specific skills that we have. <clears throat> and I even identified the scanning resolution that uh, would be required for their equipment. And Bill Pollack and I, using a government program he knew about, tried to get a prototype built so humans would have the technology, but they decided that they couldn't build, We and we still apparently don't have the technology to build a non-destructive um, neural scanning device. We would have to use the same, <clears throat> if we were doing it, this to another species, we would have to use the same methodology that the human mutilation species does. They literally remove the, the central nervous system and would have to section it like we do lab rat brains um, and, um, you know, use put the thin slices um, and analysis through a computer or a scanner or something and then piece together the, the neural structures using that um, so it obviously, one it obviously the, kills the person or animal that they're doing this to. Yes, uh, it but does. Let me, ask you, um, let me just stop you right here because I need to ask a couple questions. We've had okay. a lot of people on the show that have their own opinions as to where these beings are coming from. We've heard people say they're interdimensional only. We've heard people say that they are from other planets. And, I mean, there's a whole host of theories some people say they're time travelers, that these beings are us from the future and they're coming back. What do you think? Well, time travel is, is tricky. The technology to do that, um, it requires less energy to go into the past and come forward. But the further you go into the future, it, it's an exponential increase in energy required. So, even even the advanced technology cannot go far into the future uh, using those types of machines. Um, and I, one of the things that really bugs me is that people talking about other dimensions and um, things like that. I, th there is only one uh, reality, and it's divided into um, a, a low-energy domain, which we live in, and a high-energy domain, which is the spiritual level. And I can give you an example and, and proof that there aren't multiple realities and you know other copies of you running around. Are you familiar with the twin effect? Well, tell us what you know, that twins, is. Twins know what's happening to each other. Right. Okay. Do you we know why that works? We are familiar with that. They're very, very closely aligned. Yes. Well, that works because of quantum connectivity. You know, literally, they they came from the same egg and were uh, part of the same um, matter. And an experiment called the uh, tested the Bell inequalities. Uh, the French did this. <clears throat> they took binary particles, which are two particles that are linked 
One's always positive, one's always negative. You change the charge on one, the other particle automatically changes. And they took them farther and farther apart and discovered that no matter how far apart, the, in, the change was instantaneous and it operated faster than the speed of light. And uh, that's why there's literally an, a quantum level connectivity between twins. Now, you and I both have the potential to process quantum level sensory input, but we have to uh, do special exercises to learn it, like go to a Buddhist monastery or something and spend a few years Meditate there. For a million years, yes. But then, what is okay. your thought? Are so, these ETs well, let, or let me make my point they? here. Okay. Let me make my point. Um, that if there were other copies of you. Every time you made a decision, another bled off. Uh, we would literally be insane from all of the energy uh, coming in through uh, the same type of connection that twins have. So, you know, it, it, that's the best evidence I can um, uh, point to to argue that, that there aren't uh, multiple realities, uh, you know, splitting of, of uh people every time they make a decision or um, something diverges. Um, th there's just one set of, of 26 uh, properties of existence. And I use the term properties of existence because um, people mis misunderstand dimensions. Dimensions are just specific properties like length, width, height, and duration. And the other uh, elements in the 26 set uh, we don't have names for because they operate at the high energy spiritual domain level and um, I developed a system where where you can use a, a graphing type to discover to, to document and, and make sense of, of uh, some of these unnamed properties of existence whether it's zero or greater than zero um, you know, we we can't interact with them directly, but we can become aware of them, um, and that's what they're doing in in some of the uh, quantum level experiments. Easy. Okay. Now, what so was your other I, question? I, I understand what you're saying, and that you're saying it's not a, a multi-dimensional experience. What? Where are these beings coming from? Are they coming from other planets? They're, they're all, here? as far as I can determine, they're all from other uh, planets. Okay. Now, there are, are some individual species, and some are alliances of species, but I, I think there's about 12 of them with some level of presence here in our solar system. And they're all military. They're primarily military operations because they're here to uh, solve the problem that the uh, evil people on this planet, I call them black souls. Another name for them from the Bible is the children of Belial or sons of Belial. Uh, Belial was supposedly one of the angels who fell with Lucifer, and he uh, allegedly is responsible for recruiting human beings to evil and coordinating the evil they do on Earth. 
So we were talking about this off the air. Now we're getting into another whole experience of what's happening on this planet and why. It's a chaotic time. There's a lot of destruction going on in certain cities in the United States. We're having a lot of earth changes. But one of the things that, that I was reading about and we were reading about that you were uh, putting forth is that these dark souls are the ones responsible for a lot of this chaos. And they come in human form, you were saying. So Yes, they and, do. They incarnate. was asking, incarnate. can you tell the difference? And you said you can't. So it's just by action only. No, and, and that's, the, that's the reason why the extraterrestrials, um, they, they could not give you a, a time and place they're going to act either because they have not, their intelligence services have not identified all of these souls that they need to lock up or isolate, and there, there are various plans for doing that. Uh, one of them actually has a, a device that when they identify these people, they just throw them in it, and it locks their soul in their body. And uh, I'm sure these machines are designed to sustain them for thousands if not millions of years so that they're continually locked in this body and not somewhere, uh, you know, incarnating and causing problem in, on, on these worlds that have stable civilizations. So they're imprisoned. That's, that's what the concern is. They don't want people from this planet who are evil incarnating into their stable civilizations and causing disruptions. Okay. That's, that's, that's why they're here. So they're basically here to, to harvest those people, imprison them, so they don't wreak havoc in any other Yeah, that's, other that's one option. Okay. There, there, mm-hmm. are other, there are other plans that are, are more outrageous. Um, the, the most, well, I, I need to educate you on a, a fundamental difference in how social processes are organized among these extraterrestrial species. Some of them have um, social processes like we do, and that's how their uh, social structures operate. Others are biologically based, uh, similar to the way bees and termites and ants, uh, their social status and cooperation is controlled by body chemistry. And the, the ones that are controlled by body chemistry are the ones with the oldest civilizations out there. One in particular that I'm aware of, I, I suspect, is at least 3 billion years old. They were probably one of the first life forms that developed after the Big Bang. And they they have an incredibly advanced technology. Uh, All of their um, interaction here, with the exception of one surface operation that I found, is all done remotely. And um, the the others are... um, well, that's that's the one that I know the most about. 
I don't know much about the like? other these, other ones that are that like are biologically these, based. What do they look like? These are multi-legged creatures. There's not really anything on Earth that that they look exactly like. But uh, if you saw one, you would probably think of a spider. Oh and my they, god! And they don't look like a spider. <laughs> wow. That's enough to make me run screaming into the night. Okay. Yes, it would. It it takes a lot of uh, getting used to. I, I literally, for the first few years that I was delving into this, the, the stuff I was finding on a daily basis, <clears throat> um, you know, literally kept me nauseated for for years. And it it, it was a long time before I was able to get past that. So these are military operations. Uh, they're yes, they're basically to... military operations. And now, they're here to... some of the ones that we interact with, like the greys, those are, are primarily intelligence um, and, and they're medical um, um, staffing. They're not, they're not soldiers that, that do the... Um, you know that that abduct people and record their neural structures. So we haven't seen their like the, the Gray's military units in action. I just am aware of the um, their ability to do the um, wall of fire around the planet. Uh, we even have the we've had the technology that they would use to do that for probably more than 150 years, but nobody's thought of jacking the flow rate up to something that would accomplish that. So let's get to your paper and your book on the strategy and tactics to survive ET abduction and forced encounters. Now, I thought what you had said was perfect, and I was wondering if you could share a few points from that for our audience tonight about what, to do, to stay safe, to stay alive. Okay. Uh, the most important thing to remember is stay calm. Uh, because if you get uh, fearful or other strong emotions, it causes physiological changes that narrows your field of vision and stops you from being able to think, think rationally. So you need to to stay calm as as calm as you can and pay attention to what's going on. And you know one of the early things that I say is, you know, if you can if you detect something strange going on, it might be best to vacate the area. But if you can't do that, if you're immobilized or you know they've got their hands on you, just stay calm, observe what's going on, and you know try to use your skills to understand how they're interacting. Uh, find out if they speak your language. Um, and and this is another point that I make: any kind of intelligence operation that's operating in an area, whether it's a foreign country or another planet, they're going to have somebody 
that speaks the language where they're operating. <clears throat> so there's a good chance you you might find somebody you can communicate through if it's not the actual crew that abducts you. And, and if you were given the same responsibility, you would be anxiety-prone while you're doing the capture because um, you might be fearful of, of what they would they could do if they um, start fighting or something. Um, so, you know, stay calm, and unless you can tell that your life is immediately threatened, um, cooperate with them as best you can. Um, and some of the abductees, for example, report that um, their memories are wiped. Uh, the, somebody will put a, a device against the center of their forehead and erase their short-term memory. So it's not converted to long-term, and you know they literally have to <clears throat> go through hypnotherapy or something to, to recover any memories at all. But others report that if, if you continually run through your head what you're trying to remember, uh, even during the erasing procedure, that they, they will be able to recall it later. And what perhaps the most important thing is if you're contemplating escaping, make absolutely positively certain that you're still on Earth. If you were on a if you were taken to a lunar base or a base on uh, one of the gas giants, it wouldn't do you any good to escape if you're um, going to be running into a toxic atmosphere. Or a vacuum. So that would be bad. try and make sure you know where you are. Now you also had some questions that you could ask the if they had a human liaison, like for example, "Am I a prisoner of war?" These questions are great. I mean, it does focus on a communication level that that you need to to keep awareness of. And have I been accused yeah. of some criminal offense and arrested? And also, you bring up the issue of rights. What are my rights under any interspecies treaties, agreements, accords, legal code, military law, or military rules of engagement? Because, yes, don't we have that? Doesn't our government have treaties with some of these entities from other the, planets? The, the only agreement that I know of is uh, codenamed Project Noble, N-O-B-L-E, second word is A-M-I-L-I-C-A, Amalika. Uh, that's how I was told it was pronounced. It's at Edwards Air Force Base, and it's a trade agreement. They provide industrial capacity to one of the ET species in exchange for whatever technology they want to get. What they will do is estimate how much time and money it would cost to develop that technology, for humans to develop that technology, and then they trade the ETs that uh, amount of value in industrial capacity, uh, production toilet paper or light bulbs or whatever the ETs might might be 
needing for supplies. You know, even if you're if you can travel light years, um, you that just means you've got a longer supply line. So, you know, in extreme cases, it would be easier to you know to trade locally than having to haul stuff trillions and trillions of light years or something. The, um, and did we ever agree to treat to trade people? Did we ever agree to that with them? Question. I don't know about selling out people, but it would not surprise me. And um, you know, as with the human mutilations, I I have also heard rumors about the. Um, experiments that these that ETs were allowed to uh, do on human beings in underground facilities that is very possible but I I do not have any direct knowledge of that okay um, because we have heard I do that know used as I do know steps. that they have they have some ETs imprisoned that they captured uh, you know, I guess Where maybe kept? some of the ones from Roswell or other incidents. Go ahead. Where, where were they kept? Uh, the one that I knew about was in a um, um, cavern in one of their underground tunnel complexes that had a security door on it. Okay. So we have that, a couple of theirs, and that they ET, have a whole bunch of us. <laughs> yeah. That that ET managed to escape, but I'm not going to go into how. Okay. Um, what what state was was the ET put? I mean, where was he uh, um, held captive? He was he was somewhere in in one of the western states. Um, I would say from the terrain above ground, it was. Um, Maybe Arizona or Nevada. It was a deserty surface area. Mm-hmm. Um, Amazing. Yeah. The um, there's so there's so much, Roger. That's let going me get on. back. To, let me get back to one of the what I view as one of the failures of our government. Is okay. If they uh-huh. had any legitimate interest in us um, when they first knew this from the 50s on they would have been trying to negotiate recognition of human rights and trade agreements Um, one of the things I want everybody to think about and consider with extraterrestrials is potential economic opportunities and potential political opportunities. We're going to have to explore those areas as best we can on our own, um, independent of government, because they're not looking out for us. Like the COVID, we're we're on our own in dealing with it for the most part, and they're not going to offer us any help because they're totally absorbed in uh, you know, all of the resources and these black projects and stuff is going to benefit elites and not us. 
So we're on our own in, you know, developing some accommodation with the ETs. And that's one of the reasons. At the end of this book, I have a um, – it, it's something that you can print on the front and back of a, a specific um, type of those tear-apart business cards. And it's mm-hmm. something you can get laminated, carry in your wallet, carry on your purse, you know, whatever. Keep it with you uh, so that if you're ever abducted, you can give them written notice claiming all of your rights, claiming ownership of your um, neural structures, because that, that is literally the most valuable possession you have. Um, what you can do with the ability to... Uh, record the the uh, neural structures associated with specific skills. You can store those in the computer. You can use them to give machine skills. You can uh, probably implant them in an extraterrestrial brain and <clears throat> provide them with the same skills that that you have. And you know you're not going to be compensated for it if they've you know, literally stolen it from you. So it's important to, you know, if you can at all ascertain um, ownership and claim all rights that you might be entitled to. I know that there are agreements between species, uh, not only the alliances of species, but probably between individual species and alliances, because there's weapons technology I know that they are capable of producing but show no evidence of actually existing. And some of them would, would really put us in a, in a really ugly situation, and they're not being used against us. And they're not, as far as I can tell, they're not being used against other ex- extraterrestrials. So I think there are weapons that are banned and I know that uh, humans tried to develop one of them. And in the late 50s, uh, we tried to develop gravity bombs. And the purpose for developing them was to explode them in space and bend the light coming from stars that uh, intercontinental ballistic missile targeting systems were using as references to get to their targets. And, you know, a, a gravity gravity lens effect, if you're familiar with that, in astronomy, you know, the magnetic field around another galaxy can bend light of objects coming behind, from behind it. And, you know, we can literally see behind galaxies because the, the light is, of stars has been around both sides and we can get, in, get an image of it from gravity lensing. And they were going to do the same thing with these gravity bombs. Well, one of the ETs um, actually brought in this planet-sized machine that would have established a dampening field around the solar system if the idiots actually produced and detonated one of these bombs because one of the consequences would be that it would it would literally destroy the fabric of existence, 
and moving out from here like a wave and, and would expand and uh, eventually collapse everything. That sounds pretty bad. It's like a, a science fiction movie, and it's with a bad yeah. ending. But so, they yeah, were actually so, trying to develop gravity bombs. Oh, God. Oh, well, and here's here's a question that we are approached with quite often on this show is about disclosure, because as you know, I'm sure you've been as an intelligence gatherer, you've been watching this closely. They have a new PR campaign where they're rebranding UFOs, they're calling them UAPs, and they are just basically dribbling out little pieces of information, saying that they know they they also know what's in our skies and they see it too. Uh, the Pentagon has said they are going to be releasing a report. They didn't say when, but stating that, yes, they do have ET technology. What are your thoughts on all of this? Is, is there going to be disclosure? Are well, they teasing uh, us, controlling I, us? What are they doing? It's not in the interest of the elite who are in control of these black projects and you know, using all of the all of the stuff they've learned from ETs, reverse-engineered technology and whatever, um, you know, that's all being used or saved for use by the elite. And I can give you a, a, another practical example. In the late 50s, no, I'm sorry, that in the late 1940s, right after World War II or the early 1950s, the Office of Naval Intelligence produced a classified archaeological report of the evidence of prior civilizations on the North American continent. Uh, According to law, everything should be declassified after 35 years. That document I know exists because I've... um, spoken to people from World War II, from Korea, and from Vietnam. This this report was circulating among the Intelligence Good Old Boy Network, and it is still not declassified. Now, I, even, I even went to the extent, um, I contacted the National Archives, and I, I looked for the report. They know nothing about it. I looked for announcements, job announcements of the, of, from that period, looking for um, archaeologists or anthropologists, um, nothing. I looked for payroll records, nothing. Somebody is, is classified, dec- you know, has classified every shred of evidence that this book, this study exists. And... Um, you know, I, I've continued looking for it, but to date, um, even the people I, I talked to that read it, you know, it was so long ago they they couldn't remember the exact title, the author, or you know who the custodian of the record was. Um, that's the key thing. You have to file a, a FOIA request with a custodian of the document. And if you can't find who the custodian is, you can't file a FOIA. Right. And, you know, that that's an example of the extent that they will go to um, to keep secret, 
you know, something that, that, you know, rationally, you know, what could be in the archaeological record that would be so um, fantastic that we wouldn't be able to handle it. Right. Um, you know, we, we, you know, giants are, are discussed as a possibility as having existed. You know, what else could there be? That that would cause, you know, whoever these elites are to keep this this kind of information classified, and it's an example of the same thing they would do with information about extraterrestrials. You know, and uh, one of the important things about uh, classified projects is all of them have at least at least seven levels of cover stories. The Roswell incident is a good example. You know, originally they said it was a crashed UFO. Then they said it was a, a weather balloon. Right. And then uh, there was, when that didn't, didn't fly, it was something else. Then it was uh, <clears throat> uh, test dummies that fell from the sky from parachute balloon experiments or something, you know. So any any covert operation is going to have at least seven levels of cover story in case, you know, if you knock one down, they bring out another one and another one and another one. And, you know, some of the, the really black projects probably have 20 levels of cover stories Jeez. already prepared, mm-hmm. you know, so that if you, you know, Peel one level of the onion off. Um, you you still come. You just come to the next one, and you know you got to keep peeling to get to the core. So that so that's these, a demonstration of the extent these people will go to to keep you know whatever they deem basically yes yeah They're protecting their you own know, deem that we shouldn't know. But then why are they letting some of these things out now? Like the Tic Tac stuff, and I mean they're they're like letting what, out little what, pieces what, of it. What, what Tucker exactly? Carlson on Fox News is now reporting on UFOs, bringing military people onto his show to talk about sightings and experiences and things like that. They're allowing that. Why? Well, you know, look at it. You know, look at it. What exactly can you learn from the Tic Tac object that you didn't already know? You know. Mm-hmm. UFOs exist, right? You know, most people already understand that, right? But, you know, I do. What, what does it tell you about their technology? You know, is there some, you know, is it enough information to rebuild something? Um, you know, what, what, you know, what exactly of value do you learn from, um, you know, what it is that's trickling out? And when you start thinking of it that way, uh, you quickly see that it's. You know, not really anything of substance. It's just, you know, look over here, look over there, look over there. Mm-hmm. Um, ongoing distractions. Well, one of the things we were wondering about, and maybe you have an answer to this as well, Roger, is it appeared as if they were getting pressure from somewhere to at least release these tidbits of next to nothing whether it was from other governments like Russia or China saying we're going to release what we know first, or maybe from the ETs themselves 
Is there any possibility they are getting pressure to release more information? Well, on the ETs, um, you know, I I don't see them doing anything, um, you know, like they're not going to start landing tomorrow and and build uh, plants to recycle our atmosphere and remove remove the pollutants. Mm-hmm. You know, they're the the ones of them that are here are more more focused on their military and intelligence collection processes. Um, you know, this isn't uh, a place where there's an extraterrestrial United Species presence. Um, you know, they're not sending out health care workers, things <laughs> like that. Right. Um, and and they're, they're engaging in deception operations, too. And some of these, um, you know, I, I, there's one person in particular that I keep getting pushed by a number of people to contact because they claim to be an extraterrestrial and... <clears throat> Um, you know, I'm, I'm skeptical of that because, um, you know, even though they promise this and this is going to happen or this and that is going to happen, and it's like the televangelists that are um, always prophesying the return of God on, on next Tuesday or something, you know, the, the deadline when it was supposed to manifest passes and there's still nothing there. Right. Um, I know of inst- a number of instances where, you know, there are people claiming to be extraterrestrials here on Earth and, you know, made promises along those lines and and, and never manifested. Um, so I'm, I'm skeptical about that. Okay. Now, one of the things that you bring up, in, in some of the things you've written, is about the fact that some people are being abducted, and they think they're being abducted by ETs, but they're not. It's something that scares yes. me even more. Tell us about that. Yeah, that that's um, false flag operations. Um, I know that our government does it. I suspect that the Israelis do it, and it may also be going on with Russian and Chinese intelligence. But they will stage um, false extraterrestrial abductions. And the example I give in the book is um, a a United Nations ambassador who was uh, made a victim of one of these uh, false flag ET abductions to get intelligence from him. Uh, and and that that did happen. Um, so you know that that's a, a danger that you face. And if, if you're abducted by these fake aliens, <clears throat> there's no telling what they're actually after. And you know you're in a more dangerous situation than if you were probably abducted by actual extraterrestrials because they're criminals they're criminals conducting some kind of of scam or 
illegal enterprise that they're using you to benefit from. Also, and one of the you... things may be uh, to, uh, as went on during the 60s, you know, there were illegal drug experiments on individuals. Yeah. Right. And, you know, these ET false flags could be, um, could be used to uh, <clears throat> conduct uh, chemical or biological agent experiments using you as a subject. That's not very nice, <laughs> but I know they do. No, it isn't. And also, we've heard not, about not that these, the, not that these children of Belial would would do anything outrageous. Yeah, they they certainly would. And now, what about the involvement of Nazis from Germany? Because we've heard a lot about Project Paperclip. We've heard a lot about Antarctica, and Admiral Byrd's expedition there that ended disastrously. I mean, have you been able to collect any data on the Nazi involvement with ETs? Well, I've seen some of the um, film clips of the uh, Nazi UFOs actually flying, uh, even at, at some elevation. So I don't doubt that they had some level of technology. They were certainly working on it. Now, as to them getting help from ETs, none of the information I analyzed um, for my master's thesis um, indicated that. And um, part of what I used was a book that was written from uh, a, a trunk Abweer uh, files that were discovered after the war. And um, you know, as for Operation Paperclip, if they, if they were building UFO-type craft, I would have thought that NASA would have focused on them instead of building chemical rockets because it would have been to their advantage to use more advanced technology than chemical rockets, mm-hmm. especially if they wanted to, you know, make advan- major advances in space. I, I, I know that there were classified experiments using uh, captured chemical rockets um, I, I suppose uh, William Pollock probably it comes closest to having some information about that in, in his video about, um, you know, what he discusses. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to post that so people can watch that. It, it just sounds fascinating. <clears throat> what about some of the people we've had on the show talked about Aliens who are helping us, ETs who are here to help. And we've heard about Valiant Thor. We've heard about the Pleiadians. And I was wondering if you've had any experiences or you've found any data on that. Uh, I haven't 
among the interactions that I've had um, does not include any of those, any individuals claiming to be from there. Uh, the only the only interaction that I will go into detail about was the first one I had when I was 13 years old. We had just moved from a farm in Ohio to Memphis, Tennessee. My father worked for the government and was transferred there. And uh, it must have been like uh, 1 or 2 o'clock. It felt like the middle of the night. Something woke me up. And uh, standing at the foot of my bed was a short figure. And I thought my little sister had gotten out of bed and come into our bedroom in the middle of the night, and I called out her name. And it was just like in, in later on in the Star Trek uh, films or shows, twinkle, 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 and it was gone. Mm-hmm. And it was an E.T. I did not figure it out until much later. Uh, at the time, I had no idea what happened. But it it woke me up from a sound sleep so I would be able to see it leave. Now, what purpose it had in that, I can't tell you. But I, I know from subsequent experience that they they kept track of me. And, and at one point, um, was one of them was actually following me around in a mall, of all things. Um, so I, for, for some reason, they have been keeping track of me. Uh, I, don't, I don't believe I'm an abductee. I don't have any memories of none of the memories that I have include being abducted and put through those processes. Um, the I'll tell you this this much more. Um, you know, the elite are the enemy of you and I, and the ETs are enemies of the elite. And I work on the theory. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. So anything that I could do, if I could, along those lines to help ETs um, deal with our mutual enemy, I would do so. That makes sense. You can fill in the gaps on that. (laughs) Yes. Yes, Uh absolutely. Well, we're right there with you, and it's just, there's a big landscape here. There's a big rabbit hole here. That's why I'm so glad, and I know, PK, you are too, that you're on the show with us tonight because you're you're really providing a lot of good information. And I, I want to tell people where they can get a copy of Strategy and Tactics to Survive ET Abduction and Forced Encounter. Where can people go to get that, Roger? They can go to my website, which has a shopping cart page. The website is www.thesociologycenter.com. That should be easy to remember. Thesociologycenter.com. T-H-E-S-O-C 
I-O-L-O-G-Y-C-E-N-T-E-R.com. And if you have trouble remembering that, uh, the replay of this show is uh, available immediately after the end. So you can go back and listen to it 10 or 20 times. Boost, <laughs> right, and boost their we, ratings. We'll also uh, post it on our Facebook page so that you can all go there okay. and, and get that information for yourself. I think it is tremendously valuable, and mm-hmm. it's a, yeah, an interesting makes- it's an interesting take on all of this because it really is putting the power back on us and saying you do have power in this. You do have skills you can use in this. Just everything that you yeah. described made so much sense. I mean, that you pay attention to where you are, your surroundings, every single thing that you can remember, you're going to remember. And you, yes. again, it's, I think it's Stay a lot focused. of people... Right, staying Don't focused. Don't give in to fear. That's the hard part for so many people because you're, this encounter is obviously so strange. It's not something that happens every day and to most people. Although we have heard on Native American reservations, there's a, a number of people who've had had experiences that are quite friendly. It's they kind of drop in, talk to people, and leave. And there's there's no. Um, there's no attack on them, there's no abduction of them, but it's more like a dropping in to say hello kind of experience, which is very different. But your book Yeah, and it is, probably resembles the experience I had when I was 13 years old. Yeah, much friendlier and nothing threatening about it. But if you are in a situation where you feel threatened, your advice in, in this particular book is excellent, in my opinion. It's yes. excellent. and. And it's yeah. something the government should have done a long time ago. You know, you need you need this information to help you stay alive, especially because uh, someday there's no telling when. You know, it's like the Jesus Christ coming back. No man knows the day or the hour, including the ETs. Um, you know, when when their intelligence tells them that they've got all of the information they need to act, then they will act. So one morning you may wake up knee-deep in extraterrestrials. So, (laughs) you know, read this book so you're prepared for that. And also the article on, I I wrote an analysis of the uh, human mutilations for a European researcher. The title of that article is uh, Intelligence value of extraterrestrial human mutilations. That's on the Internet, too. Uh, If you do a a search for James Roger Brown, sociologist, I've got uh, videos uh, and interviews and stuff that are on YouTube. A lot of my political analysis commentary over the decades is, like a lot of people, the search engines won't, won't find it for you. But if you send me an email, I'll send you a link to stuff if you're particularly interested in something. Take a look at my website, especially the shopping cart page. Um, there, There's things like the Congressional Evidence book that I wrote. You can download free. The other books are for sale. Uh, however, uh, I use PayPal for the transactions, and they're not set up to handle multiple Ebook purchases, 
So purchase one book at a time. I, I, I hate to tell people to do that, but um, PayPal will only take you to one one download link after the purchase. So um, you need to purchase each book separately and then download it and uh, whatever other books you want to read, um, get them. Now, okay. I uh, one thing that I need to tell you about is I, I kind of do an underhanded overview. Uh, a lot of the information that I don't talk about um, is um, in, I actually started a science fiction series, Intelligence Reports from Earth. That will provide you an overview of the situation. Um, and I marketed a science fiction so I won't have to spend uh, hours and hours and hours and hours a week um, getting challenged and beat over the head by people um, wanting me to prove this or that. So take it with a grain of salt. Uh, look at it as an overview of the situation we're dealing with. Okay. Now, we only have a few minutes left, Roger, but what's next for you? What are you going to be investigating next? Well, um, what I'm going to do is, is I'm working on applying everything that I've learned. And as I pointed out earlier, the main difference between us and all of these extraterrestrial species that are here is they have a stable civilization and we don't. I think I've learned enough about how they work to try and build um, a political party here on Earth whose sole purpose is to create and maintain a stable civilization. And I uh, am close to finishing that. There's an early version of that on the um, uh, on a link on the shopping cart page, but I've got a much more sophisticated version nearing completion, and I'm going to announce the formation of the party soon. So that's where I'm going next. And I noticed you also have a couple of articles on COVID as well that are quite interesting that people can look at. And mm -hmm. what's your opinion of that? Engineered virus? Oh, COVID is the uh, – they're lying their behinds off when they say it's not the product of somebody's biological uh, warfare program. Now, the top candidates for me are the United States, U.K., uh, again, Israel, and more remotely possible, China. Uh, the U.K., uh, I would rank as probably number one because um, a company there that was uh, almost like 200 years old, um, owns a patent for the COVID uh, virus from 1985. So somebody working on that for that amount of time could have developed what has been released. Um, so, you know, somebody else has made that connection and, um, you know, accused one of the billionaires of being linked to it, which is I don't have any direct information on, but 
you know, anything is possible these days. You know, we're in dire straits, and we're going to have to distinguish ourselves from these evil elites and try and develop our own accommodation and economic relationship with the extraterrestrials without the government. Yes, because they're certainly, they don't put us first. So thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. This is absolutely fascinating. Please keep us posted when you have new things. We'll be sure to bring you back. This is just great information, and I I can't think where else we could possibly get this depth of information. And the book is definitely worth getting, everybody. It's called Strategy and Tactics to Survive ET Abduction, Forced Encounter. It will really change your whole way of looking at this. Your consciousness will be greatly expanded, and you will feel very empowered by the information that Roger has put forth in that book. So we will be back next week, everybody, oh, my goodness, with another another great show. And until then, we will see you on the Blue Highway. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night, and thank you for having me on. Our I'm happy to have had you Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural Girl.